You are listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast, where you can hear the latest messages and other conversations as we strive to go serve and love in our communities. If you want to know more about us, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org. If you enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on YouTube. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 3, or as always, you can follow on the screen. This morning, we begin just a short two-part series entitled, One Thing. You know, if we'll be honest, so many times we try to do so many things that we end up not being much good at anything. When it comes to the new year, and you set all these resolutions and different things, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I believe that every year, every year that God gives us on this earth is to be a year where we are as productive as we can be for His work, and as pleasing as we can be for His glory. So the longer you live... You must realize, listen, and the more you realize just how fleeting these years are and just how important it is to maximize the potential of each year for being what we ought to be and doing what we ought to do. Every year, at least half of us in this room will do something that in the beginning will be very exhilarating, but in the end, very frustrating. Can you identify with that? We will make New Year's resolutions. The top 10 resolutions that Americans make every New Year's Day are the following. Exercise more. Lose weight. Get organized. Learn a new skill or hobby. Live life to the fullest. Save more money. Spend less money. Quit smoking. Spend more time with family and friends travel more, and read more. Now, those are very good resolutions. The problem is that four out of five people who make them will break them. One-third of people who make resolutions won't get past the end of January before they break them. That is why I believe what we need is not a New Year's resolution, but a New Year's revolution. That is what we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks. What does God say to us? How does, he does have, if you think about it, he does have plenty to say about how we can maximize every year he gives us to reach our God-given potential to be what we ought to be, do what we ought to do, and become what we ought to become. So question, why do people fail in keeping New Year's resolutions. Why is it that so many of us come to the end of one year with the same baggage we carried in the year before? You see, we come to the end of the year and we are no further along in our spiritual lives, our social lives, our physical lives, or our vocational lives than we were the year before. Now listen to this. The date changes, but the destination hasn't. We are still stuck in the same place. A psychology professor at Florida State University did a study of this. He came up with basically two reasons 
why people fail to keep New Year's resolution. The first is resolutions are too general. And the second, there are too many resolutions. And I'll surely say amen to that. I'm not going to ask how many of you have already ordered or have some kind of exercise machine. How many of you have already joined a gym? You know what I'm saying. This is what it's talking about here. The professor said, studies suggest that willpower, willpower is a limited resource. If you make too many resolutions, you won't have enough willpower reserves to stick to all of them. So this is the conclusion. It's better to make one resolution and stick to it than make five. Believe it or not, he has taken that right out of the Apostle Paul's playbook that he wrote some 2,000 years ago. Turn to Philippians chapter 3 if you haven't done so. But Paul was writing from a Roman prison. As far as he knew, every day would be his last one. In a sense, every day for him was New Year's Day. He gives us the secret on how to make every season your best ever. He begins by making a candid admission, which is the starting point of making your life better on a daily basis. Look at verse 12 of chapter 13. It says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What Paul is admitting is he has not arrived. He doesn't have it all together. Though he has done a lot, there's still more to do. Can you imagine Paul said he had more to do? Though he has been to a lot of places, there are still more places to go. Though he has reached a lot of his potential, he has not reached all of his potential. I don't care how old you are. As long as you are drawing a breath on this earth, there are always more lessons to learn. There are always more principles to apply. There is always more room to grow. So what Paul does is he gives us three simple steps that you can use at the beginning of every season, at the beginning of every month, at the beginning of every week, at the beginning of every year to make that year, that month, that week, that day, the most productive day for you and the most pleasing day to God you possibly can. So the first thing we want to look at is forget what is behind you. Look at verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The first thing you need to do as you enter into a new season is put the old one behind you. Paul had learned a tremendous lesson. You can't focus on where you are going until you forget where you've been. Now let that sink in for a moment. When you read this passage, you realize that Paul is usually using sports language. Specifically, he is talking about a race. He talks about straining forward, pressing on, going toward a goal, and reaching for a prize. Those are racing terms. Now listen, I've never ran a 5K. 
Running makes me tired. What about y'all? It makes me sweat. And my intentions have always been to run a 5K all of my life. Now listen. But if you are a runner, that is nothing. It is only about three miles. But to me, it would be like a marathon. I remember a buddy of mine that ran with me one time. This is what he said. Just remember as you run, when you've been, where you've been is not important. What is important is where you are and where you are headed. Amen? Well, this is true about your life. You cannot sail the ship of your life into the seas of the future with joy and peace if your anchor is stuck in the mud of the past. You can't run forward if you're always looking backward. Don't misunderstand what the word forget means. It doesn't mean to fail to remember. There's no way you can ever totally erase the memory of your past. Now think of that. The word forget literally means to not be influenced or affected by. When God says, for an example, I will remember your sins no more. It doesn't mean that God all of a sudden comes up with a bad memory or he gets spiritual dementia. It simply means he no longer allows your past to affect your relationship to him. You know why? Because he loves unconditionally. Aren't you thankful? I heard about a man who went to see a doctor. and He said, doctor, you've got to help me. The doctor said, what is wrong? The man said, I am suffering from amnesia. What do you want me to do about it? He said, he said well, it's a struggle. The doctor said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just go home and forget about it? Did you get that? Here's what you need to do. As you look back over 2020, think about your mistakes. Think about your failures. Think about all the things you didn't do, things you should have done, and the things you shouldn't have done. Ask yourself what you can learn from those things and how they can make you a better person and how you can move on. Do you know how you can really know that you have forgotten what is behind? Here you go. When you can talk about it. Some of us just bury stuff. We never want to talk about it. When you can say, yes, I did fail here. Or I did make a mistake there. But this is what I learned from it. This is why I won't ever do it again. This is how God used it in my life. So forget what is behind. But secondly, focus on what is in front of you. Focus on what is in front of you. Listen to the verse again in 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing, you get it? One thing I do. Two words in there make all the difference in the world. One thing. You see, Paul understood the power that comes in concentrating on just one thing. Have you ever thought about how important those words are in the Bible? 
when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him how to receive eternal life, what happened? Jesus said, one thing you like. When Martha was arguing with Mary in the kitchen, you remember that? What was really important in life. Jesus said to Martha, only one thing is needed. David said in Psalm 27 verse 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. What was the one thing Paul was seeking? He says in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Jesus Christ. Now the Greek word for goal is scopus, which means to look at. We get our word telescope from that word. It means a small mark on which your eye is fixed. In other words, Paul said the key to living a productive life is to focus. Now hear me. Paul had a one-track mind, but his mind was on the right track. How many times have somebody said to you, or you've said to somebody, you've just got a one-track mind. But the important part is that it's on the right thing. Amen? Listen, I'm convinced the reason that so many Christians are so ineffective in their Christian walk and the reason why so many churches are ineffective in their mission is because they are involved in so many things and they don't really concentrate on one thing. I can't tell you the number of times that People have come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I would like to serve in our church. I would like to go on a mission trip. I would like to share my story and be more active. But I've got too many irons in the fire. I've heard that a lot of times. Do you know what I feel like saying sometimes? Either pull some of your irons out or put out the fire. Understand that this morning? Too many of us carry shotguns around, firing at our targets, don't we? We fire in buckshot. Listen, when we ought to be carrying a rifle, shooting a bullet at one target. But what we like to do sometimes is if we got a rifle too, is just shoot right there, right in the middle of that end on one, and then we like to go draw a circle around it, whether we were shooting there or not. So if we hit it in the middle of the screen, we go put a circle around it and call it bullseye. Well, you weren't shooting at that middle of the screen. You understand? You understand we've got to be focused. But when you're focused on so many things, sometimes you're not good at anything. Anyone knows that concentration is the secret of power. If you take a river and you make that river flow in one direction and listen, in one direction only, and not overflow its banks, it can become a tremendous source of electric energy. If you take a light and concentrate it and its power, you can make a laser that can cut through steel. Likewise, Paul said, set the right goals in your life, and not very many of them, and then build your life around reaching those goals. You see, the key is making 
the, the key is making sure that you set at least one goal that is right. I heard about a football coach who was trying to teach his six-year-old son how to kick a ball. And he looked at him. He said, son, when I put the ball down and I look at you and nod my head, kick it. And that's when he lost his two front teeth. You understand, you've got to concentrate, but you've got to concentrate, and he did. But you've got to be sure to communicate the right thing, amen? So listen to me this morning. What is the one thing you need to do? The first day, listen, in that spirit, let me just say this. I am asking everyone in our church, okay, the next 12 months to do one thing. It is the only thing, if it's the only thing, you accomplish spiritually this year, then make sure you accomplish this one thing. And the reason I'm so high on it is because that if you do this one thing, the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and move in your heart to do many other things. Now, here we go. I'm going to ask you to read your Bible through this year. And guess what? You're already behind, right? Amen? And I know it's hard. Listen to me. I want all of us to do this together. And I'm absolutely convinced that the greatest thing I do on a daily basis is to hear God speak to me through His Word. What about you? There is nothing that feeds my spirit. Nothing that encourages my heart. Nothing that motivates me to live for Jesus. And nothing that grows my love for God like reading His Word. And I'm going to ask you to make this your one thing this year. Now, there are many excellent one-year Bible reading plans. In fact, when you came in today, there are some back there on the Connect desk. But for those of you who like to go online, uh, we have provided that also there on the, uh, your handout this morning on the sermon notes. It's either at the bottom of that or on the other side about the online version of the Bible there. But listen, and we'll all be reading the same thing. But listen, I personally read it through chronologically. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you that in just a moment. But you need to understand no matter how you read it, you need to read it. Okay, so why do I read it chronologically? Six benefits of reading the Bible through chronologically. Number one, we'll understand the whole story of salvation as it unfolds. What do I mean by that? For many of us, we only have bits and pieces of the story. But when you read it in uh, chronologically order, chronological order, you'll see God's extraordinary planning and working out of every detail over the centuries. You'll see how the entire Bible builds towards the coming of Jesus, His death, His resurrection, and promised return. But secondly, we see how God is truly the author of the entire Bible. The Bible was written over some 1,600 years, and it has one voice under all the voices and one clear theme of God seeking, saving, and restoring His lost people. Thirdly, it will help us understand the uniqueness of the Christian Bible. 
No other religion has scriptures written over a similar time period that is as internally consistent as the Christian Bible. Listen, there are no other scriptures that have historically verifiable prophecies that were fulfilled in verifiable historical settings as in the Christian Bible. Now, these are bold statements, and you must read the Bible in chronological order along with the understanding of history to see them. Number four, it will grow our trust and confidence in our God. The same God who mercifully clothed Adam and Eve after they sinned and promised them a Savior is the same God who formed Israel, guided and disciplined it, and who from it brought his Son into the world, who lived, died, rose, and formed his church to carry his message of salvation and his return to restore all When you see that big picture, and then sometimes the difficult lives the biblical characters lived in the midst of it, it can give you peace and trust to understand your part in that same great story. It will fill you with hope and assurance of our glorious ending when daily trials threaten to undermine your faith. Number five, we won't be disappointed with God. We won't be disappointed. Now, let's just be honest. Sometimes we just get disappointed with God, depending on what's going on in our lives. If I had a dollar for every time I said, God, you just don't understand. Man, I've always said, God just ought to strike me dead. God, you don't understand. You ever said that? Listen, when we have no idea of the contextual meaning of the passage, We pull out a promise or encouragement we like, interpret it in a way that makes us feel good, and then when God doesn't do what we think He should, and that, in reality, He never promised to do, we get upset with Him and wrongly assume He can't be trusted. God have mercy on us. Amen? The book of Job is a great example of this. Because if you read passages by themselves of what Job's friends say to explain his suffering, you'll get a totally distorted picture of God. Because they talk about how God punishes people with suffering and rewards them with blessings based on their behavior. That's not true. Popular thoughts always when we aren't the ones suffering and we want to judge someone who is. But the book of Job, if you read the whole thing, listen, shows how wrong that thinking is. Do we understand that God was honoring Job, who he called the most righteous of men, before the host of heaven with the suffering he sent him? Job had no idea, no idea ever what was truly going on and at the end of the book. God tells him to pray for his friends because he, God, was angry with them because they were so wrong. But you see, if you don't read it all and read all the verses in context, you won't know this. One more thing about Job. 
When you read the Bible in chronological order, you'll learn it took place about the time of Abraham. And that has incredible implications. And you'll have to find out about that in your reading. Lastly, number six. We won't skip the hard parts that are essential to the complete story of God's redemption. You see, because what happens is we tend to go back to our favorite passages instead of reading the entire Bible. And in doing that, we skip the hard parts. These are the parts that are not easy to understand. So-and-so forgot so-and-so, so-and-so forgot so-and-so. So Y'all understand what I'm saying? And you feel like you're speaking in tongues there, right? Listen, these are the parts that are not easy to understand, like Leviticus. But without understanding it, the sacrificial death of Jesus won't ultimately make sense. Or the difficult challenges of the minor prophets who spell out what to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. What do they really mean? Or the exclusive claims of Jesus as the only way to God and what his death demands of those who follow him. Why? We are also commanded to take up our cross and are reminded we are crucified with Christ. Well, this leads us to our last step. Fulfill what is ahead of you. Fulfill what is ahead of you. Look at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. For some of you who are thinking right now, reading your Bible through in a year is too daunting a task. It's too big of a book. You don't like to read or you don't understand it. Now, I want you to take all of those excuses and write over them one word. Determination. Determination. You've got to make a point of pressing on. Only a daily basis saying, listen, on a daily basis saying that today, if I don't do anything else, this one thing I will do. Now, that is where baby boomers like me have a problem. Because we have been raised to view success as something easy. Not like my mom and dad's generation. Okay? Our generation doesn't know a whole lot about determination, perseverance, and endurance. Let me explain. You see, we have the attitude today that when the boss just gets mad, we quit. Yeah. Boss just gets unreasonable. You just quit. When the subject gets too difficult, just drop out of class. When the marriage gets unbearable, just get a divorce. Listen, I am asking you today, begging you today, to take a totally different tactic. I'm asking you today to say, this one thing I am going to do. This is one thing I have never done, but I'm going to do it this year. This one thing I never thought I could do, and I am going to do it this year. This is one thing the devil does not want me to do, and that is so true, but I am going to do it this year. Do you understand this is what the Lord's Supper is all about? One thing, Jesus Christ and his death 
which paid for our sin. One thing has made us, listen, has made it possible for us to go to heaven. Jesus Christ, what? And His sacrifice and suffering upon the cross. His resurrection from the dead and His offer of eternal life. One thing makes that a reality for us, which is our faith in Him as Savior and Lord. One thing is more important in doing, listen, more important than anything else that is to go into 2021 knowing you are indeed in the right relationship with God. Listen, and when you leave this planet, one thing you have been, listen, that has been accomplished is your eternal destiny and you will live with Him forever. Church, 2020 is a year like we have never experienced. Many of us have stories, some more than other. As I said, there's some of you who've already lost loved ones through this past year. Not just in normal everything causes that people die from, but this COVID thing. One thing that breaks my heart, I got a phone call on December 8th from Mary May. Love her to death. You know, I did her husband's funeral. He had cancer, just a loving family. And she said, you know, again, pray, I'm going in the hospital. December 12th, went on that ventilator and died. And I've dealt with both of her daughters who drove in for Virginia and on their way didn't know if they could see her or not. And I can't imagine that. And as I said, some of you have had a close call. I know others in other states and friends that have had a tough call. But I know some of us in here, there's things that have affected us. This pandemic has affected some of your jobs, some of your marriages, some of your relationships with your children. But I want you to know, one thing I do know, God is still sovereign and He is still in control. And this morning as we embark on a new year, this altar, as always, is open, but maybe today is the day to come and just be honest. Say, God, whew, I'm going to need some help reading that Bible through. I'm telling you, we all do. It's not an easy thing for everybody. But there's other things that we need to come and say, Father, help me to forget all this stuff from 2020, but let me learn from it. And would you help me to make 2021 the best year ever of serving you and falling in love with you and having a relationship with you like I've never had before. Because every day with Jesus should be sweeter than the day before. Would you bow your heads and let's pray as our praise team comes. Father, this morning, you know every beat of everybody's heart. You control it. You know every breath that we take because you allow it. Father, this morning, I know that people have been through so much. And Lord, I know that some are still fearful about what may come. But God, I thank you that, Lord, you're in control and you're still sovereign. And Father, I pray this morning for everyone in this place today that, God, they can commit to read the Bible through this year. Father, I pray that you would be with those who have struggled in their marriages, who have struggled with their relationships, with their families. 
Lord, those who have lost jobs or those who have been cut back in their jobs, their jobs have changed, their circumstances have changed, those who are fighting illnesses and disease. God, I pray today that, Lord, you would lift them up as only you can. So, Lord, today, as we open up this altar and this invitation, for those who want to come, Lord, and maybe pray with one of us pastors or just lay it all down here at Talton. God, I pray that they would come. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything you're doing and you're going to continue to do here at Lima Baptist Temple in this coming year. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Lima Baptist Temple podcast. We hope you were encouraged today and we would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer request, a topic you'd like us to discuss, or want to share what God is doing in your life, visit us online at limabaptisttemple.org forward slash central hub.